Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project, where purpose-driven leaders unite to change the game of life and business forever. Here are your hosts, Susan Hobson and Rob Kalvroski. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvroski. On this week's episode, Carol Henry joins the show. We talk about architecting our mindsets so we can reach our highest potential and how parts of our minds that are designed to protect us can also limit our greatness. It's an incredible episode and mindset is so important in the work that we do with leaders. So definitely check this one out and think about where are some spaces where your mind is blocking you. We at Elite High Performance specialize in building high-impact leaders who turn their teams into happy high performers that achieve their goals. A prime example is our client, MIQ, who has increased their revenue by 35% year over year, has 83% employee engagement when the global average is 21%, and has reduced turnover by 28% year over year. These are incredible results. And just want to say, can you afford to leave revenue productivity and lose your best employees? If you can't, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for the best research-backed high-performance leadership strategies that will build you into a high-impact leader. Everybody, thank you so much for listening. We'd really appreciate it if you hit subscribe, if you rated and reviewed the Leadership Launchpad Project, and if you shared the podcast with the leaders in your life, thank you so much. And here's the interview with Carol Henry. We are back. Welcome to the Leadership Launchpad Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski, and phoning in from the cottage, the yin to my yang, Susan Hobson. Susan, how are you? I feel like this is going to be a little bit of a chemistry experiment. You know why I say that? Why? Because we've never done a podcast with me hosting from my happy place. I can hardly wait to see what this does to my neurochemistry. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have two people who are who are the low energy, right? <laughs> That's- that's okay. We're working on our Zen as you're about to hear from our guest. She was just talking about that off mic, but uh, yeah, let's get this party started. Shall we? Absolutely. And obviously we have to start off with a quote and I have one here from Jackie Capers Brown. And she says, without a clear vision of the impact you want to have in your life, when it comes to your relationships, work and community, you may find yourself traveling paths that do not allow you to express your gifts of greatness in a meaningful way. Oof. Tell us why you chose that one, sir. So there's obviously there's a lot in that quote, and it's something that we started our legacy folks on, which is what legacy do they want to leave? It's something we've talked about on the show before with Zach around you know, the rocking chair and the exercise about who's on the mantle. And it's also something that we always teach our leaders, even in the, the intro leadership course, is that once you learn about who you are, you also have to think about 
who you want to become. And so who you want to become, a part of that is the impact you want to have. So it's always a great way, place to start. I love it. And I bet our guest today is going to love it as well. Do you want to introduce her for our audience? Absolutely. So we have a special guest as always. We have Carol Henry, a leadership coach. Carol, how are you? Great. Thank you so much for having me, Rob and Susan. Thanks for joining us. And, and you're in a really zen place as well on the patio. Sun is shining. The plants are in the background. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, Carol? Sure. Um, I have been a leadership coach for the last, um, I'm going to say, 10, 12 years specifically. Um, where I've, That's where I've been focusing my energy. I did work full-time at Seneca College as director of professional and staff and faculty development for a bunch of years and a number of other positions throughout that organization. I started out as a secondary school teacher. And to tell you the truth, I did that from a very um, less than powerful perspective made that choice to become a teacher because it was going to allow me to do all the typically female things I grew up observing of my community and my family, and that's being a caretaker in any way, shape, or form. Um, what happened in, in that position was I ended up working with girls at 13 and 14 years old who... Um, a lot of them were um, new immigrants and they had no thoughts about education being important, let alone math, science, etc. So their literacy was so low, they were uh, behaving poorly and really ejected out of the system. So they were very much marginalized. Um, so a lot of my work started out with those young women, helping them reintegrate into the system by upping their skills, uh, creating visions for themselves. Um, making choice, understanding that they were making choices about their behaviors and that they were really, if they got a handle on this, masters of what happened in their lives. And that's my theme throughout my life. And I can, you know, go detail by detail, everything um, falls into that pattern. And the most amusing thing for me is that a couple of years ago, I was asked to write my story so that I could, um, well, just create emotion around who I was and what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I said, I don't have a story. And my husband said, are you kidding me? Let's go through how you've sort of made your choices throughout your life. You have a huge story, Carol. So here we are. I help women be who they um be the best, be their best selves. And I don't like the word best, but the self they think will make the most contribution, have the most value and um, be autonomous in terms of how they negotiate the world. I love it, Carol. This is why I was so excited to have you on the show. I can hardly wait to dive into all this around empowering our female leaders. I love that your story started with 14-year-old girls. So I, I think we would like to hear a little bit more about how 
that inspired you to get out into a corporate space and start working with these leaders in the corporate space in helping them bring their A game and play their biggest uh, impact game in the world. So can you walk us through that part of your story? Yeah. Um, what happened is after I w- and negotiated the secondary system, I started to have babies. I had three babies quite quickly because... I really wanted to stay working, but I did leave the workforce. And when I returned, I returned to Seneca College. And my first project there was working with um, women who had um, not underprepared women, we call them from an educational perspective, but they're marginalized from the system. They didn't have money, they were single parents, um, they were stuck in women's jobs, which they hated and didn't really quite support them. Um, so I was doing assertiveness training, career career prep and all that with these women. Um, and at the same time, I was doing my master's. So I decided that my project in my master's was to um, work with 13-year-old girls. And I had access to a, a big shop at Seneca. And I brought every single 13-year-old girl in a school district to my shop. Every two weeks they came and they made a battery tester. And what the, what the what was behind all that is I wanted them to make something, use heavy machinery. I wanted them to do some wiring. I wanted them to go home with something that was a very male type of thing and have their families find use in it. And it was incredible. So we did focus groups beforehand, had them make their projects, and then after... Um, immediately after, we did questionnaires on um, what it was like, how it felt to operate big machinery, um, and we unearthed this sense of power that they never had, and it was so it was so exciting. Um, and what what I went to from that was, will you take math and science now? Um, because they, these girls were dropping it like hot potatoes; they didn't think they needed it. Well, you don't for a lot of things. But anyhow, um, I got them interested in doing all the science, technology, and math subjects. I went back um, a few months later, did focus groups again, seeing what subjects they were choosing for grade 10, because it was the big choice year at that point. And uh, so that started me on this whole thing about how Um, early experiences and 13 and 14 is critical for girls because that's when you switch into your social sphere having more influence than your um, family of origin and so um, girls on mass were thinking it wasn't important to plan for their careers and to have any of these male jobs skip a few years and I'm dealing with these women after they've made some errors in choices, um, when they're single parents for whatever reason, um, when they're in jobs that they hate and aren't making money with, and they come back to me and we talk about non-traditional occupations. And uh, I worked in getting women into our transit system, our hydro system, the police force, the fire firefighters. We got all these women into these jobs, the trades, um, and got them started in non-traditional occupations. So that's that's really how it all um, started to melt together. And from there, it's like 
you are leaders in your own life. And that began to be what I was trying to build on. Know who you are, know who your strengths are, know what your passions are, and know how to pause and make choices. And that's, that's sort of the path that has led to women in leadership. And what are some of the commonalities you see between the 13 and 14 year old girls and the women and leaders that you deal with now? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the, um, it's the messages that they have, have absorbed about women and their roles and their capabilities. Um, they've absorbed them from their families, from their communities, um, from their, male colleagues, quite honestly, um, they get this messaging that, who, who do you think you are to try and pursue that? They've got the monkey mind, the, the self-questioning, the not good enough from every single angle or too much of something from every single angle. So they, they've got a lot of mind chatter that actually gets right in front of them and stops them dead in their tracks as they try and move forward. So it's that monkey mind that is so devastating um, because the messaging is based on very um, outdated beliefs. I think most people who aren't familiar with mindset, Rob, and, and I know our audience for the most part is, but might be surprised by that, you know, because that's something I calibrate in the chair a lot with my adult leaders, right? It's like when I start riffing with them in terms of what's impacting their decisions and how they're showing up and all of this imposter syndrome that you just spoke about a second ago, which is absolutely rampant amongst my female leaders. They're shocked when I tell them these are beliefs from when you were 14 years old, right? Or pre that for the most part. So yeah, where does... A lot of it is pre-14. It just starts yeah. to get in their way at 14. Before that, it's really, it's, yeah. it's, um, we do what we do so that we can belong. Having mm-hmm. belonging be the actual central force in our, us as human beings. We want to connect. We need relationship. Um, we need that sense of belonging. So it's with ease in, in our, um, the smaller our world is, the easier it is to mm-hmm. sort of dance the dance that's prescribed for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but as our eyes get wider, you either hunker down deeply into that spot or, you know, you're courageous enough to step out or you have somebody that helps you step out really is what happens. Typically at 13 and 14, you, you meet some role models that are really going to inform are you going to keep on that path that has been prescribed and and that, that that's easy that's comfortable or are you going to step out and are you daring are you adventurous etc i absolutely love it i think this is such an important conversation for us to have i want to hear or i want you to share with our audience a little bit about how all of that work that you were doing with the 14 year olds and then at seneca college with the stem empowerment and and the females that you were working with there and then that took you into the corporate realm right where you were starting to see a lot of that same glass ceiling subconsciously 
that these these female leaders in business were up against. And that took you to Microsoft to work with their female leaders. So could you tell us a little bit about that experience? And and yeah, same question. Were you seeing a lot of those same limited beliefs there? What I saw at Microsoft and what was so special about working with a group of women and these this was not sponsored by Microsoft. This was the women signing up for the program that I was offering. I did a lunch and learn there. And so individually, they decided whether they wanted to dance with me on this. And um, I think one of the best parts of it was that they were all from the same, um, the same place. And therefore, there was context. They all had the same context within, within which they were trying to operate. And I guess the biggest issue for these women, they thought they could have it all. That's the dream. That's the belief they were going by. But it was mm-hmm. killing them. Mm-hmm. It's killing them. They mm-hmm. work such long hours. The competition is huge. Um, they have their families to run. They have typically conservative husbands who have left much of the management of life to their wives. So they're not only managing their own professional lives, they're managing their family's lives, their kids' lives, their husband's lives. Mm -hmm. And so overwhelm was the biggest piece that these people, these women were um, having to cope with. How do they do so much and um, meet their numbers? And it's interesting because as they shared all that stuff, what what we get underneath it is what drives you? Are you a hyper achiever? Are you a, a pleaser? Are you a skeptic? I mean, what is it that drives you to um, go, go, go and never stop? Are you restless? So a lot of the work we did was trying to identify their own patterns. What was driving them? And interestingly enough, and not surprisingly, most of them were hyper achievers and hyper rationals. Okay. So which meant they, in the workplace, were only as good as the last thing they accomplished, which could have been 30 minutes ago. And then it's like, you're nothing now because you're on to the next thing. Um, The other piece of it was um, there's no room for messy emotions. So they're all very hyper-rational and restless. On to the next thing, you know, keeping things in line um, the way they should, their to-do lists. Um, So many of them were so excited just to tick off to-do lists. You know, they, they got into robotic um, performance, going and going and going. And and listen, they're well rewarded. These are very smart women and very ambitious and, and very competent, but they neglected themselves. All the stuff that happens back in, in, their, um, in their emotions was shoved down. Um, so, of course, they weren't feeling so well. They were super tired. Um, So what we learned was how to manage the part of the brain that sabotages um, their full self. Um, And so it was a lot about self-care and having boundaries and learning how to say no and learning that and believing that they are good enough 
as good as their male colleagues, they are not going to, you know, they try to outwork them. And so they, they left a whole part of themselves, the joyous part of themselves behind. Not that they didn't, weren't having fun, not that they weren't smiling, but there was a whole piece missing and they all were missing the same piece. So it was amazing. Oh my God, I just have to, just one <laughs> impromptu moment if you guys can see it real quick. What, what does my sign today say? I'm staring at it all day today. Uh, today, today choose, choose joy. I love it. We are definitely on the same wavelength over there. Um, but uh, yeah, let's talk about this because this is where it gets really juicy, right? When it comes to empowering women or women empowering ourselves, where does that begin, Carol? Let's walk our audience through just some of these steps that we obviously in the chair as coaches are helping our female leaders take. That's the work. But, uh, but what would you say some of those really key first steps or strategies are when we're trying to help our female leaders empower themselves? I, for, for me, I, I am the biggest believer in self-awareness, really seeing oneself um, and seeing our strengths, but also seeing our dark side. We have to recognize um, the what we have to recognize is that we have certain strengths, but when things go bad, if you rely on those strengths and don't have specific tools for a whole variety of things, you end up um, fixing your jewelry with a big, huge mallet, um, and it doesn't work. So basically, I'm 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 really a huge believer in understanding who you are and the diversity of your personality and and really leveraging both sides of things um, and as a leader if you truly understand this you know how you have to fill your team out because in order to balance things you all obviously don't have everything as a leader you only have Hopefully you have the stuff that understands relationships and is open to people's differences so that you can leverage the team to work as a we as opposed to, you know, what you have. Your job is to inspire. Your job is to um, help others know themselves, know their strengths and play to their strengths. You want your team playing to each of their strengths. So, of course, you have to balance the team so that things don't get left out. And tons of the work that I've done shows show that leaders tend to hire themselves over and over and over again. It creates a huge imbalance. Because it's nice to work with somebody who's just like you and sort of communicates <laughs> the same as you. However, the whole other half of the spectrum could get left out if you're not a hugely balanced person. And we're not. So that whole self-awareness piece is really in my family, in my relationships, tell the truth. The truth shall set you free. That's, I mean, I just so believe that because you don't have to hide. Hiding is the worst thing on earth. So tell us why. I want to know why. I think our audience wants to understand why too. Because when you're hiding, you are diminished. And you are not um, you are not connecting fully with who you are, and feeling 
the flow of expression. Mm -hmm. So when you Riff are on it. and you're not connecting to your whole intuitive piece. So where we're really connected from here all the way to our gut, we got multiple brains, uh, multiple minds. Lots of people walk around cut off right here and they speak from their heads and oh, they're, they're talkers and they're funny and they have lots to say. But when you walk away from them, yeah, nice time, but the connection from deep within doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. You're hiding yourself, you can't truly connect. So you walk away, um, there's a hollowness. Yeah, depleted, a drained. Smoke, smoke and mirrors thing. I mean, mm -hmm. we've all experienced these people who are doing the best they can, trying the best, thinking they're, they're great, but their lack of connection all the way through because of hiding, um, of not thinking parts of them are all worthy. Mm -hmm. It makes it really hard to truly dance. How do we start unlocking that, right? Because self-awareness is, it's funny, it's like, it's like driving. Everybody thinks they're great drivers and on yeah, average, everyone's yeah. an average driver. And self-awareness, it's 90 to 95% of people think they're self-aware, but only 10 to 15% of us are. So how do we start going down the path of, hey, we're not self-aware and what do we do about it? Um, I think, you know, in, it's, it's interesting because all the different things that I have certified in. So I'm, I'm a, a Lumina practitioner, and that's all about personality assessment and self-assessment. Um, when I go into a company, that's the first thing I want to do with everybody. Um, I want to name what's going on in there in terms of the different personalities and the different needs and how we're going to leverage each other. Um, so um, personality assessments are pretty good. I love my Lumina because it's um, it measures people in their underlying, their everyday and their stress state. And it shows how your strengths morph depending on how anxious you happen to be or how relaxed you happen to be. And we need to know that. We need to know that... Um, are, are so okay so we'll take for instance um being a, a real serious people person and being very accommodating with that is wonderful when everything is going well but when things go off the off the rails and you lean on people people solely what happens is you become people pleasing and you leave out a huge chunk of things uh that need to get get done or you could switch to the opposite and be completely outcome focused and then you abandon your people. So it really depends what you do um, and you need to see that. So for example, I worked in um, a private educational institution for a, a number of years. I was working with their leadership team, et cetera. I ended up doing Lumina assessments with the board of governors, the executive, millions of people in, in that institution. Now, the, the most, um, I'm going to say it's amusing now, but the, the most aha for that institution was the president, who had been there for 25 years, was hiring people in her image. And they were losing sight of the fact that they were an educational institution. They were so worried about evidence-based 
things um, and fitting into the scientific community that when the president actually saw and worked with the Lumina portrait, she went, oh my God, I'm not a people person. What am I doing? Like, how could I be leaving this out? Now her mandate was very scientific initially, but 25 years later, the entire institution had left the people aspect of, of education and put it second instead of first. Outing her on that was incredible. If you heard, when, at, at the moment when she said, because at the end I say, okay, what's your nugget here? What are you going to be working on? What, what, what do you see your institution needs? She goes, I'm not a people person. I really have to work on my people skills. The entire room went, oh. it was like, <laughs> oh my God, we're, we're going to get there now. Now we have a chance because we won't be blocked. So it's, it's interesting when you put things out there in a safe situation and that's the huge that's the huge thing when you do stuff like this if you keep it safe and light and interesting and we do games and physical activities around our differences people can own them and not not be shamed they own them they speak them out and then they talk about the impact that they inadvertently have because of this. And so they then become truly in choice. I wanna change this. Here's what I have to do more of. Here's what I have to do less of. So that's, that's where we go with this. So that the team starts to gel and, and tends to each other, co-regulates with each other, which is what we're looking for. Ooh, 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 tell us more about co-regulation. That oh. sounds like something we all need to understand. <laughs> Man, we do in everywhere. And you know what? I'm just, okay. I just read an incredible book on marriage relationships. And yes, we need to know, know how to co-regulate with our partners too. Mm -hmm. um, co-regulation. Okay, so this is all coming from neuroscience, I think. And I think that's why it's so, so... Um, big right now and, and coming through in a lot of different theories. Um, typically, uh, our state of mind is incredibly catching. It's contagious. So if you as a leader are in the room where you're going to be having a meeting and you're in there and you're stressed and as people walk into the meeting, it's, it's like a cool breeze is going to hit them, right? Right in the face. It's going to be chilly. They're going to be want to do this and hold themselves in, et cetera, et cetera. As opposed to if the leader's sitting back and has a nice warm drink and has some drinks out for the people as not alcohol, but just nice tea and stuff like that. Yeah. And people walk into the room. It's a whole different set of chemicals that are going to be swirling in that room. So if we understand that when we are in our Right, our prefrontal cortex, which is our youngest brain, it's it's our higher order thinking. We the the main hormones there are oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone, mm -hmm. and uh, dopamine because we want to do things over again that create good results. Um, so basically, what happens there is that. Our vibes, our, our energy is really, really catching. And you need to, I forget why I'm answering the question. 
Help me back. Co-regulation. Co-regulation. So therefore, when, when people walk into the room, how you are really impacts how they are. And mm-hmm. as you um, create safety and get curious with other people and use your empathy, we are able to bring people down and bring people back into want to call it their right mind, but the mind that works best when you're partnering, when you're collaborating, etc. When you're in fear, you're in protection, you cannot collaborate. You cannot be creative. You go to old past realities. So it's up to us to help each other feel comfortable and safe to be in the proper part of our minds to work together and to be the most productive. That's co-regulation. It's, uh, I love this because, I mean, literally, this is what we talked about last week with Sebastian. Mm-hmm. was this mm-hmm. element that you cannot be creative in an environment that is stressful or fear-based. And it's another reason why my therapist had me buy a dog <laughs> was exactly. that he co-regulates with me. And there's actually a lot of research around that. Like they bring support animals into colleges or even sometimes into courtrooms that allow just holding or feeling a dog or a pet can actually bring your, it literally changes your state. And so oh, these things. I have a good story yeah. on that one. A okay, really go good ahead. story <laughs> on that one. Um, I've been married a long time and uh Relationships are sometimes great, sometimes messy, sometimes yuck, Uh, especially if you're going to stay married for a long time. You have to get through those. So a couple of years ago, um, just before the pandemic, I was working really hard on my women in leadership programming and and, and it it, it was very stressful. And my husband was trying to help and that was even more stressful. We were were in a, a real terrible state wasn't nice at all. So he kept saying to me, we need a dog. We have to get a dog. I need to get a dog. And I'm like, I don't want a dog. I don't want to take care of a dog. I'm just too wired to do anything other than what I'm doing now. I don't want that. I don't want that. I became involved in positive intelligence right around that time. And I went through the program myself. And by week three, my husband said to me, what is going on with you? You're so nice. You're so, <laughs> we don't even need a dog anymore. <laughs> oh my gosh. This from doing the positive intelligence practice on a, on a daily basis. Yeah. We did get a dog. We do have a dog and he definitely co-regulates us. It's, it really does work. And um, it's true. They emit the oxytocin back and forth to create the very lovely, safe environment that we all need in order to function at our best. I, I love the positive intelligence, like the saboteur assessment is something that, folks, if you just go to, uh, I think it's positiveintelligence.com, you can take a free saboteur assessment, and it talks exactly about what Carol was mentioning earlier, about when you get in these unproductive states, where mm-hmm. do you go? And that's where some of the work around your ego and the protection 
helps you understand, you know, where do you show up and how do you show up when your protection takes over. So just a plug for them. <laughs> it's a great program and don't sign up for it online. I mean, do the assessment, but then sign up with me, not online. I do something a little bit more comprehensive for a better price. So just a plug <laughs> that. Um, the positive intelligence is absolutely miraculous. And that's what I, that's the work I did with the Microsoft women. We went through positive intelligence and it was to recognize how you sabotage yourself and to understand the differences between being in your saboteur brain and, and how, um, how unpleasant that can be versus being in your sage brain, which is your prefrontal cortex, and how belonging and safe and creative and yummy that space is. Um, my best story about that is when you first meet somebody, um, a date, uh, a friend, and you sit down and you have coffee and you know how you're just like go and the time flies and you're in flow and you're just you're just setting off each other in all kinds of positive ways. You both are in your sage brain at that time. You're in your best. You're on your best behavior. You're you're leading with your strengths. You're bringing out the strengths of other people, and there's huge connection. Take three months in that relationship, and then all of a sudden you start to pick at each other. Well, what's happening is you're triggering each other, and you're triggering each other into your saboteur brains, and that's what happens in in relationships when you. Um, find there's too much negativity. It's because you're spending too much time in your negative brain. It's very interesting. It's it's so crazy how good it works. <laughs> it sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a, a, a version of Adam Bendeli's uh, relational intelligence, doesn't it, Ross? Well, it's, it's somewhat, and, it, and it, where we're going to go with it is we're going to have Dr. Richard Schwartz on in a few Ooh. weeks and it's a very much basically a very similar approach to mm -hmm. IFS therapy which is talks about protector parts and the true self and exiles and we'll get him to break it all down because he created it but it's very much about when those triggers arise and your protectors take over it's very much about understanding what protector is taking over to protect the exile from what feeling mm -hmm. and what is the root belief that is triggering that protector from taking over. And once you start to understand that, that's when you can start to have conversations basically with your parts about how do you make them feel safe and take the self back at the helm. And mm -hmm. so we'll talk more about that in the future, but it's a very and similar it, approach. <laughs> it, is, it is very, very similar. And, and, you know, it is about reclaiming the, the child who has those, those were your child's strengths, what they use to help you adapt and, and be safe as you were growing up. But then again, you know, like the tiger's not here anymore and you have to learn how to put it aside and, and, Harness it from your sage. Harness those strengths from your sage rather than from the past. 
I love that. And, and, and it's true, right? And that's one thing, folks, you're not fighting those parts and they're not bad. That's a huge thing to be aware of because if you fight them, they will only get stronger. If you try to kill them off, they'll only get stronger. And it's about understanding that they were there to help you, exactly. but you as the self need to take control now. And so that takes the safety and the trust and building that internal leadership so that the system as a whole, which is you, is the best you can be. So we'll talk more about that in the future. <laughs> yeah. And it is quite interesting, I have to say, how all theories seem to be, you know, the, the stuff that I've been involved in, it, they're all melding into this, this whole concept. And, and what I love is that we've got the science behind mm -hmm. it, not just woo-woo anymore. Yeah. Soft skills. That's what that's what they've been known as for all this time. Those soft skills yeah. are looking quite powerful, aren't they? Through this yeah. lens. Yeah. For sure. I have, I have to ask Carol, we we usually start with this question, and I kind of want to go there towards the end of our interview before asking you about your legacy. What does leadership mean to you? Because I think a lot of people when they listen to our show might be surprised that we talk a lot about the self, the relationship with self, the self-leadership, right? That is the starting point in terms of getting in your power, getting on solid ground, grounded, in alignment, all these things we're talking about today. Most people are surprised when we start with the self, but what does leadership mean to you? Again, yes, it does start with self. Um, leadership to me is is being a steward, being in service of the people who um, who are reporting into you, who are on your team, um, who are in your family. It's about helping to um, create the environment that is uh, best for creativity and collaboration and partnering and whatever you're trying to accomplish. So. You're, you're helping to create that. You're, you're helping, you're modeling. Modeling is a huge piece, um, and that is mm -hmm. modeling your own vulnerability and courage. Those being um, two sides of a spectrum. Um, and they, in order to be courageous, you must be vulnerable. Um, or the other way around. If you're vulnerable in order to move forward, you have to be courageous. So it's it's about having that courage and vulnerability piece. Um, it's about loving people. Like I really think as a leader, you have to have a real world view of we are good, we have possibilities. Um, I, I I need I need that positive hopeful, forward-moving energy to emanate from a leader. Um, and a leader leaves room for and honors mistakes and failure and learning. I mean, that's the environment that they need to create. Yes, they're responsible for end results, but I think that that shouldn't, they have faith in their ability to, um, to, influence their team 
in the direction of great collaboration and performance. I love it. And Carol, our last question, but our maybe our favorite question, what do you want your legacy to be? You know, as, as I'm moving now, I'm moving now um, a little less out, uh, out of corporations, out of the corporate world, and I'm really having fun working with individuals now on their relationships. Um, so my legacy is, I have to go back to helping people be comfortable with seeing, owning, and valuing who they are. That's really, I mean, wow, if you can help somebody move along that spectrum, their life is just so much, I want to say, easier. But I don't mean easier because you're not accomplishing things, but just ease inside oneself mm -hmm. to just love being who you are. You know, like, that's joy. That's my legacy. That's what I want. If I can help people go any further than where they are on that, that's, that's all that matters to me. And I think that if you ask my family, they know I'm brutal about honesty. <laughs> Self-honesty. I don't, I didn't even lie about the money. I don't care. It's about who you are. It's like, own it. It's the only way you can be it. <laughs> I love that. And Carol, for folks out there who want to find more about you and to follow you, where can they find you? CarolHenryCoaching.com. Awesome. And we'll drop a link to that in the podcast notes. Obviously, for us, please hit subscribe to the Leadership Launchpad Project on your favorite podcast platform. And for all things leadership development, head on over to EliteHighPerformance.com for that. Susan, is there anything you want to leave us with today? I'm just so happy that you said yes to getting a dog, Carol, because that's actually how I met her husband in the park with said dog and my dog. Uh, and, and, and I'm so grateful for that because that is what brought you to our show today. Thank you so much for this conversation. This honestly is going to inspire a lot of people, but we'll have to have you back for a part two because I feel like this well runs deep with you. It does. It does. And I can't wait to see you in the park with the dogs. Woohoo! <laughs> Dog, dogs do that. Eh? <laughs> dogs bring people together. Oh my God, for sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. I've learned so much. I have to say, I've learned so much how to, how to um, communicate with people I don't know through my dog. Wow. It's always, it's been testimony. great. Yeah. I love that. And for me, we have another quote here from Israel Moore Avivor, and he says, self-leadership is about digging out your hidden endowment and making them known and useful to those who need it most. And that's the first part. It's the self-awareness of your gifts and bringing those to the surface to allow yourself to fully step into that person that you always were. I almost said the same thing. 
<laughs> That's so and, funny. And there we are. Carol, thank you so much for joining us this We're week. We're co-regulating. <laughs> I think so. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun. Everybody listening, thank you so much. And we'll see you all next week. Bye, everyone.